Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Undying Light. I am your host, Alex, and I am joined today with a very special guest who has cleared his plate for a few minutes to come on and discuss our next topic in our eschatology series. So thus far, we have gone through the uh, dispensational premillennialist view and the historic premillennialist view. And today we will be talking about amillennialism. And so I have a very special guest. His name is Chris Gardner. He is a pastor, and I am going to let him introduce himself and give a little bit of background about him, and we will get into this topic. Well, Alex, thank you for this opportunity uh, for me to be able to share with you and with your audience uh, something that's near and dear to my heart, the uh, the second coming of Jesus Christ, and mm-hmm. um, I guess the perspective that lives at the Scripture uh, portrays in terms of the uh, amillennial um, view. Um, a lot of uh, individuals who hold to that view prefer a, a different title, um, realized eschatology, uh, and we'll get into that in a few minutes. Um, but the uh, about myself, I'm, I'm a pastor. I've been uh, pastoring for about 40 years now. Uh, 10 years in uh, a church outside of Philadelphia, and now for 25-plus uh, years uh, here at uh, Metropolitan Baptist Church, and uh, associate pastor um, while I was going through school uh, prior to that. So I have uh, some years of experience uh, in uh, pastoring. I'm currently working on a, a DMIN in uh, um, expository preaching, which is actually aimed at helping me prepare for uh, work on uh, a manuscript on the Book of Revelation, so mm. that uh, uh, this kind of fits directly into what I'm going to be working on uh, over the next couple of years. Um, as far as my how I got into the study. 
I was like most pastors. I avoided discussions of uh, the specifics of the second coming for probably the first, uh, I'd say, 14, 15 years of ministry. Um, certainly preached about the second coming, told people um, that Jesus was coming, but getting down to the nitty gritty of, uh, of what's going to happen, how it's going to happen, all of those kind of things. I was a pan-millennialist. Um, mm. It's all going to pan out in the end. Mm. Let's not get too excited about um, where we're going to go with this thing and uh, kind of left it there. But the uh, pressure kept coming from uh, individuals who were hearing a variety of, of different um, eschatolo eschatological uh, discussions, uh, particularly from the dispensational premillennial position. And I knew I did not hold to that position. I just wasn't sure what I did hold to. Mm -hmm. so I finally uh, decided that I was going to take undertake a study uh, particularly the book of Revelation, of course, that would include Daniel, it would include Isaiah uh, as as part of that study. You can't study Revelation without studying the Old Testament. It's it's an impossibility since probably 90 plus percent of the book of Revelation is simply a, a reiteration, um, an expansion of the things from the Old Testament. So I began that study. Uh, quite a few years ago now, um, 20 some years ago, and have, uh, it took me about three years to work through the book of Revelation and my own uh, study, my own uh, preparation, and then to begin to teach that. Uh, and I did come to what I would say is, what certainly is an amillennial position. Um, there are certain aspects of the amillennial um, views that are that are held out there that uh, that I've kind of expanded on, but we won't go into all those details. Um, so ultimately, that's where uh, this study has come from. It, uh, it, it has become a, a really sort of a passion. I'm 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 not a person who spends a lot of time preaching on the second coming. If it comes up in the uh, the books of the Bible that I'm preaching through, uh, then I teach it. But um, in terms of discussions, because a lot of people want to know, what do you think about this book? What do you think about that person who said this? Um, so in, in those kind of discussions, uh, at, at least now, I understand how I interpret the scripture. And that's what we're going to get into uh, in these uh, few minutes um, that we have ahead. Perfect. So um, let's start off with just the very basic uh, hermeneutics. Mm -hmm. um, anybody who has it, it does any study of the Bible knows that your hermeneutic, that is how you study the Bible and how you how you interpret that Bible, that 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 hermeneutic or that in that. Uh, the presuppositions with which you come to any passage of the scripture are driven by that hermeneutic. They're, they're driven by how you interpret the Bible. So there's never going to be uh, a, a consensus of opinions 
on the issue of the second coming because the approach to scripture, the hermeneutical approach to scripture is very different um, with each of the different views, with the uh, dispensational premillennialism, with historic premillennialism, with a postmillennial, with the amillennial view. Uh, there is a different hermeneutic that underlies the interpretation of the scripture passages. So I could sit and have a dialogue uh, with somebody from one of those other positions, and we'll never agree um, because we're approaching the scripture from a totally different means of uh, interpreting. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. And one of the things I think I've really was drawing out of researching the the pre the dispensational premillennialist view is how literal they are they set to a strict literal interpretation it's and it's almost like they paint this picture based upon that but they don't view scripture at any sort of death below that and and i see that the amillennialist position has a far different hermeneutic that they take upon looking at scripture and understanding how Daniel, Isaiah, Revelation, and then through the Gospels, when Jesus talks about the end of times, how it all connects itself. Yes, and, and that's, that, that's, a, a, that, that's really at the heart of, of what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they, the principle that a dispensational uh, premillennial individual and to some extent, the post-millennial uh, view um, is that if a passage of Scripture can be taken literally, it must be taken literally. Um, now, the, the amillennial uh, individuals would somewhat agree with that when it comes to history, uh, and those, uh, you know, those kinds of issues, but not necessarily in other other issues, specifically when it comes to prophecy. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is there's multiple, but but one of them is a, a biblical passage in uh, Numbers uh, 12, where uh, Moses is is in dialogue with God, where his brother Aaron and sister. Uh, Miriam have challenged Moses, and they uh, they say, you know, we're 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 God's representatives, just as much as you are, and and God speaks to them, and He says, um, "What are you doing, challenging Moses?" You know, He said, "When I when I speak to a prophet, I speak to a prophet with dreams and visions." Mm -hmm. But I spoke to Moses face to face, not in riddles. Okay. In other words, what God is saying is, um, when I when I speak to uh, the, the the through prophecy, that prophecy is uh, is given through dreams, through visions, and in riddles. Uh, when when God is talking about riddles he's not talking like the riddler in batman mm -hmm. he's, he's talking about the fact that that he's he's giving us scripture as paul says in uh first corinthians 2 that the natural mind cannot understand the things uh, of god uh, mm -hmm. in other words if if you're reading something simply literally 
then the chances are you're going to misinterpret it simply because God is speaking in redemptive historical terms. He's not speaking just in historical terms. Uh, when he's giving prophecy, that prophecy is given to the people of that day, but it is intended for the people to come as well. And so you have um, what we would say is multi-level interpretation of the scriptural passage. And that's often called both by the amillennialists and by those that are detractors uh, from amillennialism. It's called uh, spiritualizing. Mm-hmm. All right. I don't like that term personally simply because it's, it's, it's misunderstood. Spiritualizing tends to be uh, in the minds of particularly uh, contemporary people uh, related to allegory. Uh, the allegorical system that uh, that was used back in the early church and was, was seen as a negative. So when somebody, when an amillennialist says, um, you know, we're we are, we are to take this, you know, in a spiritual way, um, that's interpreted as we should take this in a, a uh, allegorical way. And that's, that is certainly not what an amillennialist is saying. So we're, we're crossing lines in terms of, of you know, usage of terms. In other words, you know, if, if, if I say a word and you know that word in another context, then we're not going to really be able to have a good dialogue. Mm-hmm. So the, the bottom line that, uh, of what I'm saying is when we come to the, 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 to the basis of an amillennial hermeneutic, we're, we're talking about the, uh, the Old Testament scriptures, right? Mm-hmm. And those Old Testament scriptures are given to us typologically. Typological means that we look at the scripture first by saying, okay, um, it was written to the Jews in a particular situation, a particular setting. It is historical. The things that are done are historical. Uh, so the, you build a tabernacle, you build a temple, you have uh, sacrifices, particular types of sacrifices. You have um, a, a, a nation, a kingdom, a physical people. You have a physical land that those people are living in that we call Israel, and then eventually Israel and Judah. So uh, all of that is is true historically, and yet at the same time as we say that it's true historically, we also say that it is a shadow. It is a it is a type. It's a picture of uh, um, of what is intent over the, a long period of time um, past those events. So basically. The way that we would approach the Old Testament, for instance, would be we would see a minimum of two levels and perhaps three levels, depending on the passage of Scripture. The two levels would be what is the grammatical historical situation? And we're going to preach that. We're going to teach the grammatical historical situation. We're going to say Moses crossed the Red Sea with the people of Israel, brought them out of Egypt, etc. But we're also going to look at that and we're going to say um is it typological in other words is there a uh is it representing something greater 
than itself. So it's it, it it happened. It is a historical event. It is a good, godly historical event. The rest of Scripture points towards that historical event. However, does it also point on towards something more? Mm -hmm. and, and and we wouldn't say that only for the quote messianic passages of Scripture, but we would say that that is true of all of Scripture. From beginning to to the end, it is always, in a sense, pointing forward. And when we talk about the third level, we're talking about the grammatical historical. The second level would be uh, Christological, that is focusing on Christ, particularly Christ in his first coming and, and what came out of that. And the third level then would be Christ's second coming. Right? Mm -hmm. So that, you know, we're 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 looking at what what is happening in a physical kingdom and a physical land. What is happening in a spiritual kingdom and a spiritual um, uh, people in the New Testament? But then, what is what is the you know how is this pointing us on into eternity? So, when you interpret the scripture from that kind of hermeneutic. You're not spiritualizing the sense of making an allegory. You're simply saying, what level is, is this passage pointing us to? It's not only pointing us to the historical situation. It is certainly pointing us forward to Christ. Mm -hmm. And that's why the Jews, for instance, when they talk about, uh, you know, when they put their Bible together, um, their old, the Old Testament, uh, they had the law, the first five books of Moses, but then they had the prophets, and the prophets included the historical books, because they saw the historical books as also um, God speaking mm -hmm. to to them. Um, so they saw those as prophecy, just as much as they saw Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, and, and so forth. Um, and, and that's important for us to, to understand if we're going to under at, at least comprehend what it is that the amillennials use as a hermeneutic when they're looking at the Old Testament and when they're looking at the New Testament and, and how things, because here in the New Testament, yes, we have Christ, we have the establishment of his kingdom here on earth um, in, in terms of the church, uh, but how is that pointing forward to the second coming and eternity with God? Yeah, I think that uh, really helps put a very distinctive separation between the premillennialist, especially the dispensational camp, and the amillennialist camp, because now you start to add essentially context back into Scripture, and you're starting to say, what is this text really trying to tell me? What is it putting me forward to versus, you know, oh, this is the literal take, this must be true then, or it must happen. And I, I can, I would definitely say as myself, when I recorded the dispensational, I made the comment that I don't necessarily think I could believe in this because of my positioning with understanding a basic framework of hermeneutics, because I'm still only in seminary myself. And so I haven't quite gone through an extensive, you know, in-depth course on hermeneutics, but I understand it. And when I start to look at scripture in its context and the whole meta narrative of scripture, dispensationalism just doesn't 
make sense to me. It just it seems to fall apart quite quick. And as you were explaining, you know, how all of these texts from the Old Testament start to point forward to Christ, obviously through typology, and then they start to point to the third level in the second coming of Christ, it starts to really formulate this idea, this concept that amillennialists will hold to. And so I'm curious as we move forward, you know, how does now the amillennialist view, you know, the end of times in respect to the rest of uh, scripture? Yes. Um, before I do that, let me mm-hmm. give a just hopefully less than five minute um, walk through the scriptures because sure. it, 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 it forms the foundation for what we're going to talk about. Absolutely. All right. And basically, I, I mentioned before that we prefer the term realized eschatology mm-hmm. um, rather than the A millennial, which is the A is no millennium. We believe in a millennium. In other words, we believe in in Revelation 20. We just don't interpret it in the same way as a literal thousand-year reign here on earth. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, how how do we see the scripture backing that up? And uh, we, we do that through what's called realized eschatology. So, the whether it's dispensationalism or any other group, um, there is a a distinction that is made between the old covenant and the new covenant. They, the the way that the Old Testament um, God interacted with the people of the Old Testament and the way that He act, interacts with the people of the New Testament, and for the dispensationalist you have the different dispensations by which that happens. Well, what the um, millennial school says is, well, no, we have um, one ongoing revelation. And yes, there is a, a clear distinction between what we call the Old Testament and New Testament, but that clear distinction is not in the message. It is in the power and the perspective. In other words, the person from the old covenant still has the same message from God about relationship with God and, and what God is doing in the world and what he is going to do in eternity. The same message is there, but they are seeing it you know, off in the future. In other words, they're waiting for the Messiah. They're waiting for the Christ to come. They're waiting for the establishment of of the kingdom. So they're looking forward in perspective, but also in power. They they are living in the types. They're living in the shadows. Uh, They're living in the blueprints. And the reality doesn't come until Christ. So there is no power. There's no power in um, an animal sacrifice. It, it, it doesn't have the power to remove sin. It can cavote it. It can cover it uh, temporarily by God's uh, grace and mercy, but it does not remove it. There's no power to do that. That power comes later. It comes in Christ. Mm-hmm. So that that's an important distinction that we see everything still, you know, just a, a continuous revelation, not... Uh, a separate series of revelations. Uh, so how does that work out? Well, 
you start with Adam and Eve in the garden. They're given a, a, a covenant with God in terms of his relationship with them. Uh, they violate that covenant. We know that is sin. And um, that, that covenant has four aspects to it. It has a godly line, a godly lifestyle, a godly land, and a godly love. That's, you know, the easiest way to, to describe it. And so those, uh, those four things are lost. You know, there is no godly lifestyle. That's why you, you have the flood uh, wipes out all of, all of humanity. There is no um, godly land. They're, they're put out of the Garden of Eden. Uh, their godly lifestyle, they violated God's command. Therefore, they earned death. And, and therefore, the relationship with God is broken. So what we see then in the, the rest of the Old Testament is a reestablishment of those four areas. So, for instance, uh, Abraham, the, 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 the covenantal relationship with Abraham focuses on one of those. It has all four, but it focuses on the seed or the, land, the, the line, having the godly line. Then you have um, the mosaic, and that's the restoration of the lifestyle. You have the Davidic, that's the restoration of the, the land or the kingdom. And then, the, then you have the prophets, and the prophets are telling us about this, this new relationship, um, this, this new uh, love relationship that, um, that, that God has promised and, and is, is working towards. So the Old Testament is, is restoring in types, it's restoring these, uh, the, you know, these aspects of the covenant that uh, Christ then brings into reality. So each of those are, are pointing forward. So we know that Jesus Christ is the godly seed. We know that uh, the uh, that, that the law um, of the Old Testament has become obsolete, but it, in its place we have the law of the Spirit, um, the, the the indwelling Spirit um, that that writes the law on our heart rather than an external law. We have a, the kingdom that Jesus established um, that is a, a, the, the, the church, the expansion of, of the people of God uh, throughout the nations, and you have this love relationship uh, that where the Father lavishes his love on us because we are children of God. So uh, all, of, uh, all of the Old Testament uh, concepts, all the types that are there, are now fulfilled, or being fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. But we also know that we are seeing things through a glass darkly, that uh, that we, we, we have some clarity, better clarity than they had in the Old Testament, but we are not there yet. And, uh, and, and so we live in what our millennials would call the already, that is, we already have seen Christ. We've seen um, God's spokesman, um, you know, in place of the prophets, uh, that final voice of God. But um, even as we we have experienced that, we've only experienced it in part. So we already have that, but it's the not yet. We we, We haven't seen the fullness of that. So that's where um, the book of Revelation moves us to help us to understand both the already and the not yet. Yeah, I've noticed um, that seems to be a lot of, even in some denominations, the 
view of Christology is the already not yet kind of perspective and not always just necessarily related to the eschatological view, but um, that's how they do some preaching. I'm going through some Lutheran classes right now. That's kind of one of their big focuses is the already and not yet perspective of Christ and his, um, you know, current reign and coming kingdom. So uh, very, you know, I, I did a very small short study on typology uh, last year, and I was really fascinated by how the Old Testament always has these lesser types before Christ. They always were pointing towards something, as we were talking about earlier. And uh, I think, you know, if we view Scripture in that sense and understanding that, you know, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden and the first animal was sacrificed, you know, the, the animal sacrifice was a type of coming sacrifices, but not only that, but the type of the sacrifice of Christ to cover the sins of his people. And so it's fascinating when you start to really dig into Scripture and start to pull these pieces and connect them and how Scripture isn't a segregated piece, but it's a one collective narrative of a redemptive story that God started from the very beginning and fulfilling to the very end. And so uh, if you want, I'll let you continue going through uh, digging into how um, you guys, how you view the end and, and how that kind of unfolds for um, this revealed eschatolo eschatology. Sure. The, um, the, the writer of Hebrews says then that the, um, that the old covenant has become obsolete. And it, it's a very specific term. He doesn't say that it's been disbanded, that it's been discarded. He, he uses that term obsolete. And the, the, the way that I like to illustrate that is, and I used the term a few minutes ago, uh, that the Old Testament is a blueprint. Mm -hmm. And the New Testament is the house. Uh, you don't live in the blueprint. Right. The blueprint's important. It tells you where everything is. If you have to tear out a wall, if you have to repair a, a, a pipe, the blueprint tells you all that information. It, you know, it's all about the house, but it's not the house. And then the, the New Testament is the building of the house. Right. So the house is not completed yet, but it's, it's being built. Mm -hmm. uh, Ephesians 2 uh, says you know that that we are being built up into the temple in which God will dwell. God dwells. So the uh, so the the old covenant is the blueprint. The the new testament or new covenant is the building of the house, and eternity is the finished house. So when we're reading the old covenant, when we're reading the old testament, that the you know the the lines and the, the the types there though they are actual are are pointing us forward to the first coming of Christ but through the first coming of Christ they're pointing us on to eternity so go back to the garden of eden the garden of eden is a type what is it a type of well it certainly is a type of the, the kingdom that uh, god is, is is has established through Christ but it's really a type of heaven um, of eternity and so the, everything in the Old Testament is, is going through that lens and pointing us forward. Uh, and so when we come then to this realized um, eschatology, we're saying that, 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 that Revelation 20 is 
talking about what is going on now and what is going to happen in the future. So what is going on now, the realized part of it, is that to be absent from the body is present with the Lord. Okay, so mm -hmm. when I die, my spirit leaves this flesh and enters into the presence of the Lord. And in that sense, then um, I'm, I'm with Christ and Christ is reigning. So therefore, I'm reigning with Christ um, there as uh, as the scripture points to in, in numerous places. So the um, the. This life that we have going on right now is the millennium. It is that thousand-year period of time in which uh, Satan is uh, been um, cast down to earth. In other words, he's cast out of heaven. He cannot be a uh, an accuser of the brethren anymore because our sins are removed through the blood of Jesus Christ, and uh, and therefore um, you know we have eternal life. It's, it's not that we're going to get it, but we have it. And, you know, so he's, he's no longer able to be that accuser, um, but also he's no longer to, able to keep blindness over all of the earth except for the Jews. The, the gospel of Jesus Christ now has freedom to go out to the whole world and to be claimed to the whole world. And that's what Revelation 20 says, that he is bound so that he can no longer deceive the nations. Now, that doesn't mean that he's not active amongst those nations. It means that there is no longer a limit to uh, where the gospel can go. The gospel can go to the whole world, and there will be, as we know from Revelation as well, there will be people of every language and every tongue um, gathered together around the throne, lifting up and glorifying God, uh, in uh, in eternity, and so the the realized eschatology says saints are already present with the Lord. They they they're already ruling with Him, even while the tribulation is going on. Well, what's the tribulation? The tribulation is the persecution of the church. It is uh, the the ongoing battle um, as Revelation twelve ends. It says, you know, that Satan had left his fight against uh, Israel in the, in the sense um, and has now turned his attention to her seed, that is to the church, to the rest of, of her seed, um, to, the, to the church. And so the um, so you have here on earth the tribulation, um, which intensifies as we go along, while in heaven the saints are reigning and ruling. Uh, so when we're talking about the thousand years, we're talking about a, uh, a, a the, the complete time, 10 times 10 times 10, the, the complete amount of time between Jesus' uh, death, resurrection, ascension into heaven, and his second coming. So that's the that's the... That's the, uh, in a sense, realized part. That's the uh, where the saints are with him, absent from the body, present with the Lord. Or as Paul puts it um, elsewhere, he says, um, you know, that that he would um, that to live is Christ, to die is gain. And, and then he says that we uh, that that um, he would like to be unclothed with this tent. He says in 
in uh, 2 Corinthians 5. I want to be unclothed with this tent, uh, but not because I want to be just unclothed. In other words, not because I want to just die, but that I'd rather be clothed with this new tent. Uh, that is with the new body. Um, so that he's saying, I wish Christ would come back before I die. Uh, but even if not, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I will be in his presence and enjoying him in my spirit, awaiting the final resurrection. Mm. So there is in the, in the amillennial position, then there is no millennium on earth. There is no uh, golden age off in the future someplace mm -hmm. where Christ comes back and he rules with resurrected um, believers who have their supernatural body while the people who are living here on earth, um, when he comes, still remain in their mortal bodies. So you've got you know, two groups of people, in a sense, living through the millennium. Um, those that are uh, have resurrected bodies, so they can't die, and those who are are still here on earth that can believe or not believe. Uh, and ultimately, you know, Satan is is given freedom to bring those people together to fight against Christ at the end. Uh, we're saying no. Um, that's uh, first. From our perspective, again, and I'm, I'm saying from our millennial, uh, our millennial perspective, uh, we're saying, no, that doesn't make sense. First of all, Christ would have to, to uh, in a sense, come down here on earth. That's a second humiliation. That doesn't make sense that that's going to happen. Uh, and then at the same time, um, you're going to have people that are immortals uh, with these um, these incredible bodies uh, like Superman uh, here on Earth, they, they, they can't get sick, they, they feel no pain, um, they are, uh, they're not, not able to die, and they're going to be living with people who are mortal, even though um, you know, sickness is limited and, and those things, and they, they live for 100 years or, or maybe 500 years uh, there, but they still, there's still going to be death. There's still going to be sorrow. There's still going to be the pain of that loss, and they're still going to be living amongst a whole bunch of unbelievers who the only reason that they are doing what is right is because Christ is, is here and they're, they're afraid, but at some point, He's going to fail in a sense, and you're going to have um, all these people say, no, we don't want that glorious kingdom with all of its wealth and all of its good food and everything. We want to go back to the way things were before. Um, so, again, from our, our perspective, that doesn't make sense. But instead, if we see the, the, the tribulation being the, uh, the life on earth, and the, the persecution of the church on earth with the, um, uh, with the ruling being the, 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 the souls of those who have died in heaven with Christ, then that explains not, 
not only that passage, but it explains a whole lot more of the book of Revelation and uh, of the descriptions that we have throughout the New Testament and even in the Old Testament passages. Mm. Yeah, it definitely makes, just hearing you know you explain it makes a lot more sense because I kind of touched on some of those pieces and I it didn't quite make sense that once the you know uh, the the Christ comes down and inaugurates his kingdom that there would be these you know um, redeemed new body people and then you still have the old creation present with sin and death still present it just didn't seem like that would be something that matches with what scripture's overall teaching. And even, I think you said it perfectly, that's like, that's a second humiliation of Christ having to come back down to earth. And it just doesn't, again, make sense. Uh, one of the key things that I think I hear a lot of from people is it, talking about the rapture. And that seems to be a hot topic, especially when it comes to the end of times belief, because obviously Christians want their free ticket out of here before their, you know, the quote-unquote tribulation happens. They don't right. want to experience it. But I think you kind of laid out perfectly that we're currently in the tribulation, right, with all the persecution and suffering, the sickness and death that's around us, the, the pressing upon on the church from the governments and the, the officials around the world. That's the tribulation. So how would a rapture view fit into your perspective, or does it? Well, sure it does. Um, in that when Christ returns, which is at the end of time, not in a intermediary uh, time, but at the end of time, uh, the dead in Christ will rise. Uh, they will, their, their, their spirit and their uh, body uh, will be reunited, and uh, we will be caught up together. Um, those who are alive and remain will be transformed. First Corinthians 15, we will be transformed in the twinkling of an eye. Uh, we, the, the mortal will put off... Uh, mortality uh, and become immortal. The corruptible will corrupt, incorruptible will become incorruptible, and uh, and we will have you know these um, spiritual. The, the way Paul puts it, it will be a spiritual body. And, and here's remember I talked about the uh, this difference in terms of um, of how we interpret terms when we talk about spiritualizing mm -hmm. something. Yep. So, so the spirit, um, people tend to hear the word spirit and they tend to think of ghosts. Mm -hmm. That is, they tend to think of spirits as uh, this, this picture of a ghost that kind of floats around. And um, so whether we're talking about our spirit or whether we're talking about a, uh, you know, the, the resurrected spiritual body, just because of, of bad teaching, in a sense, uh, and bad television pictures, there is a sense almost that uh, that that we are less than what we are here when we have our material bodies. C.S. Lewis does a really, uh, I think, really good job. I, I don't recommend his theology in uh, in the book, the, uh, the Great divorce, but he does a really good job of helping us to realize that the spiritual body is, uh, you know, way greater than uh, the, the material body. Uh, but that would be even true of our spirit. Uh, right now, the, uh, the uh, what we talk about as spirit 
um, we're talking really about our life uh, that, you know, you might call it the life force and they call it whatever, but it is the, it, it's, it's the emanating um, thing, you know, that, that God breathed on Adam and he became a living soul. Uh, and, you know, we can get into whether we have a spirit and a soul and a body or whether it's spirit and body or, you know, those kind of things, but that's another theological discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, all we need to know is that, that, because of death, the 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 animating um, part of us separates from the physical mortal body. But when we when when that spirit enters into the presence of God, it is perfected. It no longer, in any sense, uh, desires sin. It no longer desires uh, and, and anything to do with, the, in a sense, the material world in which we live, and, and yet it's not complete, okay? Again, the already but not yet. It's not complete because it doesn't have a, the spiritual body um, yet. And again, not to cloud things up too much, but what we need to, to recognize is when the angels fell at the beginning, Mm-hmm. Uh, the Satan and you know the third of the angels when they fell, we're told in the scriptures that their bodies were are, are chained awaiting the uh, the final uh, judgment, but their spirits are active in the world. Um, we call them demons, and those demons can take over a, a physical body if they if somebody gives them. Uh, permission to do so. Uh, you see that in the New Testament with demon possession and, and those kind of things. Um, and, and therefore, you can tell from that that they're very powerful. They're not powerful in, you know, in terms of uh, physically throwing things across a room and, 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 you know, that kind of thing that you would see in the Exorcist um, movies, you know, but there's there's a really a, a strongness to them, so that when they do take over a physical body, they almost make that physical body supernatural. And you have that with the seven sons of Sceva uh, being uh, driven out of the house naked by one man, uh, or the, uh, the the demoniac um, that had the legion of demons uh, within him that even the strongest chains couldn't hold. Uh, now, the the point being that spirit, even without body, still has uh, has in a sense, you know, some kind of of substance form to it. It's not a uh, it's it's not a ghost mm-hmm. in that sense. Um, well, that's true of us, right? When uh, when when we die, we are our spirit is present with the Lord. The body goes in the grave uh, or is cremated or whatever, but the spirit goes into the presence of the Lord. And, and it is a spirit, and that's because of the perfecting power of God, that spirit is more real than our spirit is even now in our bodies. The same thing is true when we talk about the spiritual body. A spiritual body is, you know, uh, yeah, we're three dimensional, and a spiritual body is a hundred dimensions. 
uh, you know, I'm, I'm just throwing that out. Mm-hmm. It's, 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 it's other dimensional, but far greater. So when Jesus appears with the disciples in the, uh, in the upper room, when their doors are locked, okay, and Jesus is there, it's not because Jesus is like a, a, a spirit, because he says, give me food, you know, I'll pop that in um, to show them. He wasn't a, a ghost as, as they thought of a ghost, but he was more solid than the walls, right? In other words, he could, the walls were the shadows, the walls were the, 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 uh, the smoke, and he was, you know, can move around this mortal world without uh without any any interference in that sense so when we're talking about something spiritual or we're spiritualizing something we're not we're not diminishing it we're intensifying it so a a person then who uh who who is resurrected on that final day all right, and we were talking about the rapture here. When they were raptured, they they become more real. They get a spiritual body, um, and they enter into the presence of God fully mature or or perfect, uh, with uh, with both the body, so that there's no corruption, there's there's no mortality. Um, you know, they are uh, immune to, to anything that could happen. And at the same time, they are um, they're fully in that new kingdom that that God is going to have the new heavens and the new earth. So, yes, there is a rapture, but that rapture occurs not, you know, not before some thousand year thing, but at Mm -hmm. the very end of time. Yeah, that makes a lot more sense when lined up to, you know, the biblical canon and how, you know, you've explained through things. It's not. A precursor to something to that you know is going to happen, but a, in a sense, a post-event at the end of times. Right. Um, so, I two questions. Uh, one is: Is there anything? Well, let me phrase it this way. Question number one: Is there anything leading up to then that the Christian should be aware of in terms of the second coming? If if all of this is going on essentially behind the scenes or in front of our face in terms of like persecution and suffering, what would be like the one or is there an event that sets off the end of time? And then the other question you can answer after that would be, is there anything else that you would like to cover in terms of this particular perspective? Uh, let me deal with the first one. Um, the answer is yes and no. And the people at my church will tell you that's the way he always answers. <laughs> yes and no. Uh, yes, the, the Bible tells us that there's uh, there's uh, you know several things that uh, are going to happen um, that are you know that should uh, make us more aware. Mm-hmm. Um, and those uh, those things are the the uh the man of of lawlessness uh coming the um the the uh, fact that there's going to be an intensification of of sin that there's going to be an intensification of apostasy 
so yes, those those are are things, and that you know Jesus says you should watch for. So that's the yes, but the no, yeah. But those things are happening all the time, um, and and there's there's not going to be any oh this is the guy or this is uh, this is the intensification. Um, let me give you an example. If you look at the United States, people in the United States are saying this is the end of time because look at all that's happening in in the world around us. You know, uh, nature has gone haywire. The um, the, the the rebellion, you know, the, the kicking God out of the schools, kicking God out of our courts. Um, they the, this just open rebellion against uh, anything dealing with God and and the uh, you know the the Antifa um, struggles on the streets and and all that. Obviously, this has got to be the second coming. Uh, yet you had the same things being said. Uh, you know, World War One, World War Two, mm-hmm. uh, and, and going back in history, right? There is there's an intensification that is going to take place and is taking place. The problem is part of that intensification is that we have a um, uh, we have an expansion of a population. We have expansion of intellect, uh, not intellectual ability. I think if anything, our minds don't comprehend as much as they used to, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a hundred years ago before all this technology replaced our brains. Yep. But the, uh, but intensification in terms of technology, in terms of, of scientific understanding. So, but this is, this is continually going on from the beginning of time. And if you follow church history, you'll see that, you know, time and time again, you had people saying, this is it. Because this person is is so evil, you know, Hitler is so evil, Stalin is so evil, um, you know, uh, going back Napoleon, and and we can keep going back through history, and we have those uh, those uh, events that seem to be cataclysmic events, the uh, the, the plague in Europe, uh, but the thing is, in the United States. We just don't understand that this is the way the rest of the world has been living for you know, centuries. You know, Europe became anti-God a hundred years ago. The uh, you know our, the, what we used to call third world countries. Um, you know, they've uh, the people there as Christians been in extreme uh, tribulation. Uh, are you going to tell somebody in the Sudan? For the past thirty years, that there is a greater tribulation than what they've been through, as they're all starving to death, as their their children are being taken and sold off as slaves, their wives are being raped, their men are being killed, and we're going to tell them that there's uh, well, yeah, but 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 the Antichrist hasn't come yet. Um, John makes it clear in his letter that the Antichrist are already amongst us, mm. so it's going to be really hard to say that's the Antichrist. Now, once it happens and Christ comes back, then we'll know. But really what Jesus is telling us is when you see these things happening, prepare because, mm-hmm. you know, because this might be the time 
but only the father knows. He makes that very clear. Only the father knows. So uh, let's not go writing our books yet that this is the end. So that was question number one. <laughs> All right. I, that nailed it. That was exactly what I was looking for. And so in terms of, um, you know, your position, your perspective, uh, is there anything else you'd like to cover? I think we we went through kind of, uh, and I don't want to say renounced or, you know, but we we we, uh, we discussed the dispensational premillennialist and the premillennialist views from your perspective. And I, we kind of hit on all of their big teaching points. And so I'm curious if there's anything left you want to cover uh, or if any, you know, advice or anything that, uh, you know, people exploring these particular views uh, that you would have to give. Well, like I said before, uh, you, you have to understand the hermeneutic. That is, you know, what are the presuppositions when you come to a scriptural passage? Uh, if if you've been taught a certain perspective all of your life, and then uh, that's, you know, when you interpret a passage, that's, that's how you're going to interpret it. And you have to ask, um, and I do this, you know, regularly for myself, is, am, am I telling the text what it says, or am I allowing the text to tell me what it says? Because if I'm going to go to the text and I'm going to read the text from, from my presuppositions, from my belief system uh, that's already there, then I'm going to make the text fit what I say. But if I, if I go to the text and I say, well, how does this challenge me? How does this challenge what I have believed? Is there, is, is there you know, another possibility here? I might be right. But I don't know that for certain, uh, and, you know, until Christ comes back. Um, so am I allowing the text to teach me or am I trying to teach the text? I think that's that's really critical for uh, for everybody, whether mm -hmm. you're a millennial or whether you're you know dispensational or whether you're historic pre-mill or whether you're post-mill. When you come to the text, how are you going to, to, to read that? I think the second thing that... Um, that I would say is how how did the New Testament writers? Now I realized that they were uh, that, that that they were receiving revelation through the, the the Holy Spirit, but how did they approach the Old Testament? Well, ladies and gentlemen, unfortunately, uh, our Skype call ended due to some bad connections. I uh, don't know whether it was on my end. I'll blame myself. Um, but uh, I, I think Chris was a fantastic guest. I think he really started to hammer out and paint us this picture of what the revealed eschatology uh, understanding is. And uh, I really appreciate his time that he spent unpacking this view. Uh, and as always, what I encourage my listeners to do is to continue their research. Uh, so we've heard all four views. We've tried to present them in an unbiased view uh, on each of the episodes. And so what I encourage you to do is, is, Chris has said numerous times, is what is your hermeneutical understanding? Where do you uh, draw your understanding in Scripture from? And use that to apply it to your eschatological understanding. 
when we start to unpack the scripture, how does that influence our understanding of it? And so what my advice is, is even though we didn't get to quite finish Chris's second thought, um, what I encourage you to do is just continue researching on your own, continue to dig into the scripture on your own, read uh, Daniel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, read through the gospels one more time, two more times, 10 more times, read through Paul's letters, read through the book of Revelation, and really start to soak in if this is a topic that's been placed on your heart lately. There's um, a, a lot of great books that have been written by a lot of great theologians. There's a lot of great commentaries. Um, and, and as this show gets presented, I, I will try to pin in some of the notes, uh, show notes, just to kind of point some resources for you. So pay attention to that because um, I want you guys to further your education. Obviously, these shows are, are an hour or so, give or take 10 minutes, whatever, long. These are not extensive deep dives into these views. These are not extensive understandings um, to how these views are uh, looked at from a historical perspective and how they draw out every little jot and tittle from Scripture. These are not hermeneutical episodes. You know, We have some hermeneutic episodes in our library on Undying Light, so check those out that Paul did a while back. But... These are just a high-level understanding. These start to build that foundation, that understanding of what uh, these views are. So I highly, highly, highly encourage you, if it's on your heart, to continue your education. While you do that, though, keep in mind that this really is, you know, probably further than secondary, in my opinion. Eschatology is a good understanding. Knowing that Christ is going to return is essential to the Christian doctrine, but knowing all the little facets and holding to a particular view, um, in my opinion, is, is probably a tertiary understanding. It's like third level. It's, it becomes non-essential because it doesn't take into your, your view or your salvation. Uh, understanding that Christ came once already, he died, rose from the grave, and ascended, we are waiting for a second coming. And that has been, that's laid out very clearly in scripture that he will come again. So however that fits into that view is your hermeneutical understanding. And I, like I said, highly encourage you to go and listen. And I uh, apologize for some of the call quality uh, that we may have experienced. There's a few snippets I've noticed that uh, Chris's voice seemed to look, to cut in and out. And I think that's just uh, sometimes the lackluster of, uh, of of a Skype call. So please forgive me on that. Um, but I really do appreciate Chris uh, coming on. Um, Nick from Bible Dingers was the uh, person who put me in touch with him. So reach out to Bible Dingers if you want to know a little bit more about Chris's position. Uh, Nick is also a big in, you know, has had uh, a big influence on getting us connected. So uh, my thank yous to him for helping set up this show. So just a little bit of housekeeping. So uh, as always, I record these usually multiple weeks in advance um, because I try to have stuff in the bank so that way I'm not doing an episode every week. I try to do three or four episodes in one week. That way I can finish uh, doing other work the rest of the month. So uh, as of now, this is the end of September. This episode airs the last Friday in September. I have got a full merch store set up. We've got shirts, sweatshirts, hats, hoodies, mugs, and uh, tote bags, um, face masks if you're into that kind of thing for the coronavirus deal. 
uh, all available with the Undying Light logo on the front and uh, Psalm 119.105 on the back. And these are great quality. I have got uh, quite a few people who I uh, have already bought in some of the gear, and they absolutely love the stuff. I've had some sweatshirts purchased. They love them. They're good quality. The print is really nice on them. Um, so the link is in my bio. If you're interested in Undying Light merch, go check that out. Uh, the next thing is, if you're interested in helping support this ministry to keep this ministry going forward, uh, guys, this is not a cheap thing to host multiple podcasts. Um, the time and that's needed to invest into studies and contacting, you know, guests and whatnot, um, recording the the platforms to record from and with and use the equipment. It it all costs us money. Me because I'm the guy behind Undying Light. If you have it in your heart to support this ministry, either um, through you know a one-time donation or through a monthly donation, Patron does the monthlies for as low as a dollar, gets you access to everything. If you make a one-time donation, I can probably find a way to get you included in everything that I do one way or the other. Um, but Patron is probably the easiest way to get you all that, and it's obviously the cheapest at a dollar a month it's like literally a penny a day less than that i mean that's like ridiculous right because 30 days in a month and i can't do math uh because that's how i roll even though i'm really good at math outside of trying to do what i just did there so i'm not even going to erase that because that's just going to show you my um my bumbling mouth moving on so for literally one dollar a month you can help support this ministry patron.com forward slash undying light i believe is the link uh, it's in my bio you can check it out there that will um, get you access to everything that i do behind the scenes um, whether it's um, the bible studies whether it's uh, upcoming releases early releases schoolwork that i'm working on uh, all sorts of uh, odds and ends to stuff that i do in the ministry and obviously the last bit is if you're interested in some wicked awesome Bible study software, Logos Bible software has that available. Logos.com forward slash undying light gets you discounts and free books. It is a deal that is unmeasured in the industry. Please check it out. Guys, that's it for me. And in uh, this phase of eschatology, we will be cracking open pagan eschatology next week we are going to then dabble in some world religion eschatology uh and then we're going to look at the old testament and how uh the early israelites understood or even maybe considered an end of times uh mind you as we have looked at these views um the israelites the hebrews did not have you know hold to really an end of the world they were promised a messiah a redeemer um, so we'll probably have a lot of similarities to what uh, the pagans and that would understand because they didn't see the actual physical end. So, But we're going to look at some various texts. We're going to probably start in the garden, and then we're going to look at Noah, and then we're going to kind of journey on. And the reason I'm doing this is to paint this broad picture of what uh, the Old Testament is leading to, this redemptive plan that God has built for us and how it all builds up to the birth of Christ. Uh, and I think that's probably the easiest way to really approach this topic um, because it's it's a deep, deep topic. And so I'm going to try to do my due diligence over uh, those episodes. And then 
Obviously, we'll get into the New Testament. We'll see what Jesus has to say about the end of times. Then we're going to look at what Paul wrote about the end of times. And then we're going to see what the Apostle John wrote about the end of times. And then we will conclude this series probably in like, I don't know, 100 years or something. There's a lot of material. I am hoping that this takes us a while. We will take a break for Christmas and do a Christmas series um, just to jolly up the, the good old listeners' ears and bring some joy and love and peace to the world through the celebration and birth of our Lord and Savior. So I look forward to uh, producing those episodes. We'll probably do four weeks uh, leading up to it. I'm very excited. Uh, I'm already starting to kind of pinpoint that in my head. So, ladies and gentlemen, October will be the beginning of uh, the pagan and the world religions in the beginning of the um, Old Testament. November, we'll probably see through the end of the Old Testament. And then uh, starting in January, we will pick back up wherever we leave off in uh, November. So that's it for me. And this phase, we are concluded with the four views. We may revisit these towards the end as we probably will bring on some people and discuss these views because I find them to be quite interesting. And I hope you do too. So please subscribe, leave us reviews, and uh, show us love by sharing this with your family and friends. Until next time, God bless. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The secret to visibly firmer, summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil. Clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dull, dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Rich yet never greasy, Andaria Algae Body Oil is formulated with sustainably sourced seaweed to help replenish the skin's moisture barrier and seven nourishing active botanical oils for results you can see and feel all over. The best part? It's signature scent. A blend of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. This all-natural scent is unforgettable. 
Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code GLOW.